Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing the podcast revisiting every episode of S Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So my guest on the podcast today is comedian and writer Alison Spittle. Hello. Hello, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me. I have always wanted to talk about S Club 7 and this feels like the perfect podcast. Well, you are the ideal guest then. <laughs> oh, this is the ideal show. We're going to have a great time because I have so much opinions on it. Anyway, look, I'll let you, I'll let you do this in a natural way instead of me vomiting on you. But yeah. Just to, just to say, I've been thinking about S Club 7 a lot. Brilliant. So first question is, what is your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV series before? Yeah, yeah. So my history with S Club 7 is uh, I am 30 years old, so I'm the perfect age uh, for S Club 7 love. I have seen the TV show. I've also seen the specials. So you know the one where S Club 7 went back to the 50s and also... Is one where S Club 7 tried to save the natural world and each different uh, member of S Club 7 would pick an endangered species and then talk about uh, yes. that endangered species and bring bring some uh, bring bring some knowledge to the children that it's not just pop music as well, but there's also rhinos that are dying. I think it's called S Club 7 Go Wild or something like that, isn't it? Of course. I was trying to find it on YouTube, but I couldn't find any evidence that it existed. And then I started doubting myself. And I was like, I am pretty sure I saw Hannah with a rhino. Um, you know, there, there are so many like um, things that I've blocked out from childhood traumas uh, and maybe I've replaced them with S Club 7 vehicles, uh, but I think it's real. Yeah, I was on the Wikipedia page for this the other day because I don't remember watching that. But yeah, it's got yeah. little episode descriptions and it's like Hannah with this animal and it says what they do in each episode and it's like Tina goes to see orangutans and goes bowling. Like it's a really random summary of each episode. S Club Go Wild, the show where an S-Clubber goes deep into the wild of a faraway country to search for an endangered animal. This week we're going to show you my adventure when I went looking for the monk seal. Name Hannah. Height 1.62 meters. Size Sweets. Hobbies. Swimming. Skills. Sleeping under my duvet. Population. One of seven of S Club Seven. Name Mediterranean monk seal. Height 2.57 meters. Diet. Fish, eels, and octopus. Hobbies. Swimming. Skills. 
Sleeping underwater. Population. One of 500 in the world. I'll be travelling to Turkey, land of ancient remains, belly dancing and kebabs. And I'll be accompanied by my fellow S-clubber, Bradley. That's a... <laughs> that's a pretty... Because I, I, I have opinions about the S-Club 7's work rate. I think there should be a tribunal into S-Club 7. <laughs> like, I really think there are some human rights abuses with S-Club 7. I think they were worked uh, to death. Like, absolutely to death. If you think of, like, the the work rate that they had to do, they had to bring out, you know, singles, albums, promote them, um, do two, what was it, two, two it was four TV series, uh, a film, documentaries then that would follow the tour that they would do and the tour itself. And I read an interview with Paul where he said that they had to do their own food prep and makeup, which is, I just don't understand how you could do it. Like, I know there's seven of them and the labor is shared out. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I just couldn't believe. It's a disgrace. Yeah, I, um, I think that's part of the reason why they chose to break up in the end, because it was just so much work. And I mean, at the time, it felt like they were famous for absolutely ages. But when you look back on it, it was only about five years or something like that. They did so much in such a short space of time. Yeah, they weren't a band. They were a union. Like that's, I felt there was some like work, work abuses and just the, the union stepped in. And, and fair play to Paul for kind of stepping out when he did. So... Today we're talking about Miami 7, episode 10. It's called Court in the Act, and court is spelt C-O-U-R-T. Do you think Court in the Act named herself after this S Club 7 uh, episode of Miami 7? Because that would be incredible. Like, she's an incredibly <laughs> famous drag I didn't queen. think of that, but maybe. Look, I think that Court in the Act has stole most of the ideas off S Club 7. <laughs> So it aired on CBBC on the 10th of June, 1999. And we start off in the girls' room, don't we? And none of them can figure out how to switch off the alarm clock for some reason. Well, it's mostly Tina that's given that responsibility. And uh, it's a very strange, it's a very strange start, to be honest with you, because um, Tina kind of jabs the, the alarm clock with her two fingers and I've never seen anyone switch off an alarm clock that way. Uh, was this a new <laughs> alarm clock that they bought? And it, it seemed like a pretty easy mechanism to, to switch off, but Tina had to go to full hog and throw it down the toilet. That is destroying the plumbing system for that hotel, therefore making more work for Escope 7 themselves. It was a silly decision on Tina's behalf. Yeah, and spoilers, I've seen the episodes after this and it comes back. Oh, does it? Yeah, we've never seen it before this point, but then it comes up in this episode and then in like one or two episodes time, it's just back somehow. Oh, this is brilliant. It's like, it. this is like uh, in Breaking Bad when like uh, the Las Polos character comes back and you're like, why are they talking about this chicken restaurant all the time? And then in a few episodes, <laughs> you see why. This is, that's what, that's what that is. (laughs) And Tina is all sort of like, rise and shine. And Rachel goes, I can rise, but I won't shine until at least 1pm, which I think is quite relatable for Rachel. That's it. And it's a lovely line. I could feel myself as a sassy, and I would describe myself as sassy uh, 10-year-old. Really, really loving that line. (laughs) Like, that's good for her. And they open the curtains and there's like a massive bum in the window, isn't there? Yes, yeah, I did laugh at that. I have to admit, I did laugh. 
I wasn't expecting it. And, you know, bums are hilarious. It is a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite a big bum. Like, it blocked up the whole the whole window. I don't think that bum belonged to the actual statue outside. Because if you look... I mean, I know we're skipping forward to the next bit, but they go to inspect, like, where where is this bum come from? And it's not a statue that I think is just blocking up maybe a quarter of the window. So maybe the perspective is a bit weird or something? Yeah, I thought the same, because it's covering the entire window, and then when they actually go outside, it's kind of not quite in the right position to actually be covering their whole window. Yeah, a really rude... You know, like one of those um, posters you get when you're about 12 and someone tells you, oh, this is the feeling you get when you're high if you look at this poster. Like a magic eye. That's it. It's a magic (laughs) bum poster. It just looks far bigger than it is. (laughs) So they're all kind of unhappy about this statue, aren't they? The girls are having a whinge and the boys come out and just are really rude to them for some reason. I'm not really sure what's going on in this scene because they all just start like arguing with each other furiously for no apparent reason. Well, you know, the best drama, the best thing in drama is conflict and, uh, you know, this band absolutely hate each other. It's it's a strange... Can I just say for one, one thing, I think it's really cruel that the writers have kind of made the whole TV series about S Club 7 being exploited. Like, their labour is exploited. <laughs> They're being exploited by people who, who don't have their best interests at heart, which I think reflects real life. And they just made them act out their own abuse. Like, that's what happened there. The, the poor S Club people, they're, they're stuck in a hotel. They're not doing what they actually want to do. Now, Paul uh, has said in the past that S Club 7 wanted to go into a more adult direction with their music, and they were lied to. Mm-hmm. They were lied to and made to do the, the babyish type music. And this is what's happening to the S Club 7 in this fictional world. They want to just entertain and do music, but instead they're doing hard labor. Um, and it was, it, I, I just think it's, there's so many levels here. It's a real darkness to the whole S Club um, movement I didn't see before. Yeah, I saw a video on YouTube the other day where they were being interviewed by Claudia Winkleman just after they'd announced that they were finally <laughs> splitting up. I just saw up. that today. Yes. And because the whole thing, isn't it? She asks them, um, what is it she asks them it's like um are you annoyed about the amount of money you've made over the years because apparently it's not much and simon fuller has been making lots of money from you and then the pr people come in and just like escort them out of the interview immediately um let's talk cash mr simon fuller okay please don't don't look at me like uh, you're angry he's got 90 million in the bank <laughs> How much? 90 million. 90 now. Yes. 90 last week. No, I thought it was 130. No, it is 90. Um, There are rumours, I don't know how true they are, that you guys are grumpy because you haven't made a mint. No, that's not true. Are you not grumpy about it at all? We didn't get a mint. I would love a mint. My breath, I didn't... Yeah, I'm a bit punk, actually. No, just... I think we're all really, really lucky to be where we are today at our age and have the bank balances that we do have. I'm not having that. I'm not having you asking that question. I tried to stop this and I've had to walk in here. Can you go with Owen? I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry, I wasn't sorry. No, that's cool. How do you, how do you, what, what do you think the score is? Maybe we should go. Yeah, like, Simon Fuller is an absolute disgrace. Like, uh, I hate him with the fire of a thousand suns. Because 
He, I looked up, he's worth 435 million. Wow. And S Club 7, apparently every member, when they were done, now this is four years of work, they got 600 grand each, which is like enough oh, to get wow. you. What's that? Like a really nice house in St. Albans, I would say. <laughs> and you've worked for four years for, for like, I, and I mean, I've read interviews because I think, like, I was a big fan of Joe which is uh, not great now on reflection, looking back. <laughs> but, like, I <laughs> I was a fan of Morrissey as well as a teenager, so I think this is, like, a, a thing that I have to, like, look into myself and see <laughs> why I'm attracted to these people. But, like, uh, I like Jo because she had a good voice and um, she had a tattoo as well. I, and, like, actually... Every member of every pop band that had like either a tongue piercing or an eyebrow tattoo or, or an eyebrow tattoo. Who had that? But like an eyebrow piercing or a tattoo, <laughs> I liked. So we got Jay, Mel B, Joe, and um, you know, I, I liked, I liked my pop with a bit of edge. And um, when, so, so to have like, yeah, it's so, it's so really bad actually. My dad reads The Sun. He still does, but I don't, I don't when I was a kid, I used to read The Sun as well. And the best stories were always on page three and it used to annoy me. So I used to cover up the lady's chest with like my hand and then read about <laughs> Charlotte Church. Like it would always be that little bit of gossip there. And um, I remember, did Bradley and John get caught smoking weed once? Yes, they did. Yeah. And I think they used to treat the S Club people like, oh, this is very funny, but they've only got six grand. 600 grand, sorry, from working for four years. But their schedule must have been crazy because I've done a reality TV mm-hmm. show in Ireland where we had to go to Morocco and it was basically going on holiday for for two weeks. And, and it was such hard work because you have to be filmed all the time. And these people are getting filmed doing documentaries. Going, going, how passionate is Tina about orangutans? And that's, <laughs> I, I think they were just hoisted. They were hoisted with these, with pick a wild animal, just any wild animal. And then they're just thrown in a plane and they had to go save those animals. They were worked so hard. I don't think there's any harder working band than S Club. And I don't care if they didn't write their own songs, right? They did their own makeup and they did their own uh, catering. That's that's hard work. Yeah. And uh, I keep yeah. taking you off. Uh, off, uh, I've just talked a lot about the actual work they did because I remember I read an interview with Rachel Stevens and I wanted to be like her when I was a kid. And they had like di- smash hits were giving out dietary advice from pop stars, right? And um, Rachel Stevens oh, said, God. whenever I need... <laughs> Rachel Stevens said, whenever I need like a protein boost uh, and something to fill me up, I'll have a cold spoon of beans. A cold spoon of beans. (laughs) I was like, I'm not. I don't have Rachel Stevens' like, you know, uh, stamina. I can't do that. I can't be Rachel Stevens. And I gave up right then. (laughs) Then and there, I was like, I'm not. I'm not like I. I'm not sharing a tour bus with seven other people and eating cold beans to go to go do a gig like. For T4 on the beach. Like, that is hell. That is absolute hell. Oh, a cold spoon of beans. That is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I know. (laughs) And and it stuck with me. It stuck with me all these years. Like, I get, yeah, just, 
<laughs> a cold spoon of beans. She is right, though. It is It is like quick and a source of protein. But you know what else is... Uh, no, I was going to say, you know what else is a source of protein, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to see that recommended in Smash It. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you know what? I promised myself that if I did this podcast, I wouldn't bring it down to that level. And yet here we are. <laughs> so, right. Actually, we're talking about food. This is relevant. Um, they have figured out that the, they figured out that the the statue is a statue of their boss, Mar, uh, Howard. Uh, even though it doesn't really look like him, so I don't know how they figured that out. But they they march over to Howard's office, and Marvin is bringing him a massive breakfast. And Howard is really excited about it, and he goes, "Is that breakfast or a backpack?" As if that's a phrase. <laughs> it can only be one or the other. Yeah, that was a that was a strange scene. It seems. It's a very bad TV show. I don't know if, if anyone has told you this before, but it's um, <laughs> it's, it's very bad. It's very badly made. I I feel, and and I love S Club and I love their work ethic. But um, you see, this is what happens. Like if if Joe has to hop on a plane to go save the elephants, she's only got time for one take, and that's the one take you'll get out of her. <laughs> Those. <laughs> Which is poor, poor Joe. When when she's acting, it's just constant anger as well. It's very her character is very angry. Um, but back to these two American guys, these actors. Yeah, they they're like the Chuckle Brothers, aren't they? Of Miami, like that's mm-hmm. their their deal. And um, they they made say very childish things. Yeah, as the whole issue here is that um, well, Howard asks Marvin to go and get lots of cash out, and Marvin yes. says. Did the did the people whose cat drowned in room four oh nine threaten to go public about the plumbing? It's like number one, that's horrible, and number two, who takes a cat to a hotel? I don't understand how that even makes sense. Anyway, uh, yeah, and who are they going to go public to? Like, I know this is the late nineties, <laughs> and the newspapers are still big, and the magazines there's there's plenty of them, but I don't see like a Reader's Digest is going to take on this case. About the the drowned cat. But um, the reason he needs all this cash is because the INS is coming for an inspection. And I googled the INS and the first result that came up was the International Neuropsychological Society. That seems to be what the INS actually is. (laughs) But in this show, it's some sort of uh, immigration government thing. Are they really the government though? Or is this just a... Imagine if there weren't a government entity and this man was just collecting money off this hotelier. It's also, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very strange kind of setup. And for kids, to, I, I was thinking, like, as a child, would I understand about immigration, immigration law? I don't think I did. I don't think I had any concept that you couldn't go to a country if you didn't want to. I was very naive. Because it gets quite technical later on, doesn't it? They talk about visas and entertainment mm. visas and the differences. It's a bit much for a kid's show. Absolutely. They must have got... Like, my friend lives in America now and she's an entertainer. And she got on a, in a visa called um, Alien of Extraordinary Ability, which I think is <laughs> is S-Club 7. <laughs> 
Definitely. And the immigration thing is an issue for these guys because uh, Marvin says, oh no, we've got more foreigners working here than in foreign places. Yeah, dog whistling, I felt like he was a bit like Nigel Farage or something there. I was like, what are you doing keeping tabs on the nationality of your staff well i suppose maybe that is a good thing for them. i don't know yeah initially howard isn't worried because apparently they always just send the same guy and howard just bribes him and that's what all this cash is for mm. and this is when paul and tina storm in to complain about the statue and we learn where it actually came from because howard says a loser art student couldn't pay his mini bar bill and that's it it's like okay that's an explanation i suppose yeah, but the, the 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 art student had money and for for supplies to make that big statue. Also, just one more thing: that quite a lot of money is being given to that to that inspector, and I feel that you know Marvin and what who Marvin is the guy in the Hawaiian shirt, isn't he? Who's the one with the mustache? Uh, that's Marvin. Howard's the main boss guy, and then Marvin's the the brother with the dark hair. So how um. So Howard, Howard could like Howard seems to spend more money on breaking the law and making sure that people have no rights employment-wise. Right? He would rather he would rather throw the money at this uh, into a bribe, then pay for their visas and sort out stuff. You know, do it legitimately. And uh, I feel that once again, it's a uh, it's a reflection on the S Club Seven's work work status as it is that like. Uh, the management would rather spend lots of money on on TV shows, on on doing documentaries and tours, and using up all of their time and just working them to death, rather than paying them more and putting the money into keeping them relaxed. And, and I just I'm just really mad at Simon Fuller, and <laughs> I feel this episode is a true reflection of of the 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 state of the the work environment that S Club Seven had gone through, and everything's in parallel. Also, I feel that this episode predicted uh, the fall of Saddam Hussein. And there's a <laughs> lot of parallels there. If you see that statue... <laughs> well, maybe I should talk about that one, the statue bit, because I'm sorry. Because <laughs> they ask him to move the statue, don't they? Because they say it's blocking their light. And he's basically like, I don't care, go away. Um, and we see Joe and Rachel having to clean the statue, or Joe is cleaning it. Rachel says she's supervising and she can't clean because she's wearing heels. Yes. And Joe is very aggressively like, are they surgically attached to you? Would you like them to be? Yeah, I feel like, I felt like Joe gave the same energy that someone in EastEnders would do if um, someone had knocked down their husband and killed them uh, in a drink driving accident. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, it was the same amount of anger. Yeah. Of like, how could you do this? Um, and Rachel also, she, she has a line there, I remember. Um, she she talks about greasy hair, and then she mentions Alanis Morissette. Like, did you see, Did you hear that? And she goes like... Yeah, this is weird. This is weird. Let's talk about this. Because Joe says, I bet Alanis Morissette wouldn't wash a statue. And Rachel goes, yeah, she doesn't even wash her hair. The least you can do after having a hit album is buy a good greasy hair shampoo. I can't believe we have to clean his statue. Well, that's what it said on the work roster. Well, actually, it said icon maintenance, but I think that means clean statue. Yeah, well, I bet Alanis Morissette wouldn't wash a bobbin statue. Well, she doesn't even wash her hair. Well, I mean, the least you can do after having a hit album is buy a good greasy hair shampoo. Can I ask 
ask you a small technical question? Hmm, Kushkan, why aren't you up here scrubbing flipping clay nostrils? Because I'm supervising. Oh, and don't forget to clean behind his ears. And just to satisfy my curiosity, why are you supervising? Joe, I'm wearing heels. Oh, what, are they surgically attached? Like, are they, like, a part of your body? No. Well, would you like them to be? You see, that's a disgrace because, I mean, they're, they're putting artists against each other. And instead of calling out Simon Fuller, she's calling out uh, Alanis Morissette. There's a lot of shade there. And also, get her, get her name out of your mouth. I mean, look, I'm sure Alanis Morissette didn't have to record four TV series, a, a, a film, and save the rhinos, right? But she did write her own songs. So <laughs> there is a kind of like... Uh, <laughs> I'm, all I'm saying, Rachel, is that you're in no position, greasy hair or no greasy hair. I bet she's the license into her own music. That oh, I hope she does. Actually, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, there's a there's a reference to Hanson as well later on, isn't there? So they're really calling out other acts in this episode for some reason. It really felt like a really shit dad's opinions on music. If you get me, like just just mm-hmm. the type of. Um, the way that dads, you know, if you're a kid and um, it's too easy to go, it's too easy to go hard on S Club 7. So you'd pick Hanson because they play instruments, but it would still feel like a strong, good opinion to not like Hanson. Um, and also, like, I feel that uh, dads in general had a weird attitude toward Hanson because they thought they were quite handsome young boys, do you know? There was a lot of confusion yeah. in the 90s. People thought that Hanson were women for a while and um, they're just lashing out. Yeah, I remember that. It was because it was kind of a time before we really used the internet a lot. So you couldn't just Google Hanson. So pe- there was all this mis- mystery like, oh, is one of them a woman? And like it was a rumor yeah. that would spread around. <laughs> It was so, such weird rumors. Yeah, and then and then like I heard stuff like they're not even brothers. Like they just look very similar, <laughs> and they were put together in a band, and they were told to tell people that they they're brothers because it makes them more interested. But you know, it's so weird the rumors that go around uh, bands. All these Hanson conspiracies. Oh yeah, there's Hanson troopers out there. There's definite Hanson troopers. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So Rachel starts kind of scrubbing the statue with a nail file and says she's exfoliating it. Another sort of dad joke. There's a few different sets of writers on this show. And there's one particular duo of writers who I mentioned quite a lot on this podcast because they've written a lot of the weirdest episodes and they wrote this one. And yeah, it is two like middle-aged men. And they often include these jokes about like, Rachel saying stuff about makeup all the time and it doesn't come up so much in other people's episodes it's just in theirs when you actually know and you notice it see see people's biases it's so strange like she is in a pop band she is like you you have to have somewhat 
you, you can't go like, I don't care what I look like. I'm in a 90s pop band because I'm sure they were, t- they were told, other, like, I'm sure an executive uh, room full of men in like 1997 cared about what Rachel Stevens looked like. And I'm sure they, they managed to get the message to her. So I know it's the kids TV show and it's not supposed to reflect reality, but um, it's it's kind of mean to just pretend that she's the vain one and this is her personality trait. Yeah, this will come up. I'll bring this up later when it comes up. But um, these writers also like making jokes about her boobs occasionally. And they also oh. seem to like making jokes about Bradley being very pervy. <laughs> which I'll point out when we get to it. <laughs> oh, please do, because I think, yeah, because I, I think I wrote something down about that. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so the immigration guy arrives and Howard is in trouble because it's a different guy from usual because apparently the other guy is under investigation for corruption and there's oh, a group oh, of oh. women in the background who all sort of drop their things and run away when they hear this. And I assume these are people who are working at the hotel, but I've never seen them before. We've only ever really seen S Club working there in the past. But now because mm. this episode calls for it, there are suddenly all these other employees that we hear about. But it's strange because they leave at a really weird time in that conversation. It's not like... I'm struggling to remember. Um, I wish I actually wrote down the sentence that I left at, but I felt that if you heard it, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have think, oh crap, I have to get out of here. Like I felt like they just waited 15 seconds and then left. Yeah. And also these employees wouldn't necessarily know about all the goings on of bribing the immigration service, would they? I doubt they get told about it. Yeah. It's, it's ever it's ever so strange, and also like John says, there's a line that John says here. There are more Americans in the Iraqi Marines, right? And that <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's strange because this happened in 1999, and I know there was two uh, wars in Iraq, but I feel that a child wouldn't get the reference. I I mean, I wasn't sentient for the first Iraq War. So I feel, who who was that joke for? Yeah, that is a really weird line. Because, yeah, he's talking about how there's hardly any Americans working there. And, yeah, he mentions, yeah, you get more Americans in the Iraqi Marines than you do in this hotel. It's such a yeah. bizarre reference. Such a great line. I mean, it slips off the tongue so well as well as a quip. There are more Americans in the Iraqi Marines. Like, it just, uh, poor John. <laughs> I, I like John. John's personality, right? It's a lot like the spelling of his name. He's no H. <laughs> Did you get it? That is <laughs> <Can> good. We... <laughs> I wrote that last night. I wrote that last night. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'll never use it anywhere else. So for people, for people that are listening to the podcast, John spells his name J-O-N. <laughs> and, and H... H is a member of Steps. <laughs> he was a cheeky blonde guy, like John. Although I would hang out with John quicker than I would hang out with H. Yeah, he's very kind of like sincere, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I'd say he'd be a bit of crack and like, uh, he seems, yeah, he, I would hang out with everyone from S Club to a degree, to a degree. I'd actually maybe know. I won't say which ones I wouldn't hang out with because that would be <laughs> cruel. But uh 
about six of them. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the immigration guy kind of points at Tina, doesn't he? And is like, she sounds European. And Howard says that she's from Oklahoma. And Tina sort of goes, yeehaw, in a really fake way that wouldn't convince anyone. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was ever so strange. And once again, he referenced Oklahoma, the musical, which wasn't uh, in children's... Who is this written for? That's what I want to know, Sophie. It just felt so strange. I, I just... I, because I, I, I thought like I really do like S Club, right? S Club Seven. I, I've referred to him as S Club because that's what they were named after Paul left. But um, I love them, but I don't remember any of this TV series, and I couldn't. And I, I used to watch Cleopatra the TV series, and I remember oh, more wow. of that than I do of S Club Seven. Yeah, that was a better one altogether. But, I mean, S Club 7 were overworked. I, I see now they spread themselves too thin. And you've, you've seen hidden depths to this episode, like, portraying how they were exploited. Exactly. And they had to... This is genuinely like having someone put on a play of of their exploitation. That That's what it was. Like, like acting out for their bosses. It was an absolute disgrace. It's torture. It's torture for us and it's torture for them. Yeah, we see them all trying to sort of destroy the statue, don't we? They're kind of hitting it with hammers and baseball bats and Joe is like taking a saw to it. But I love how it looks like it would be the easiest thing to destroy because it looks like it's made of like plastic or something, but they're just not doing any damage whatsoever until later. Well, you see, S Club are rising up. If you if you poke a stick at the proletariat for too long, they will they will return violence. And this is a product of this. <laughs> and I, I, I love to watch it. Um, it did feel for me, it looked awful like, you remember when Saddam Hussein had a statue up and um, the people tore it down? It felt like that as a moment mm-hmm. for me. There, there was a lot of there actually there was quite a lot of um, references I feel to to the Iraq War, both the past one for them and the future one that they were predict- predicted. I quite like this scene now where um, Marvin comes in with the suitcase of money and tries to give it to the guy because he doesn't realize it's someone different. And then the the suitcase just falls open and the cash goes everywhere. I quite like that scene. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, it was great. And he, and um also props to the to the guy who was playing the inspector. Great use of eye contact while putting his hands into his pockets to take out the money. Like I kept staring at his pockets. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're not looking, mate. You're not going to see it. But he took it out. It was very, very good. Very efficient. He uh, And he isn't happy as he says he's going to come back tomorrow to do a thorough investigation. So they all start freaking out. Yeah, he's a very moral man, but he's also very bad with decisions. I mean, if you're suspicious of someone, you don't give them a good like 16 hours to get there, you know, to hide everything. Get 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 your stuff in order, you know. If you if you have a suspicion that they that like they're working illegally, look now. Just get overtime, mate. Do your job. And after that, we see the band cleaning the pool, and Hannah just suddenly goes, "Why are we cleaning the pool? Where's Louise?" And Louise is not someone we've ever seen or heard of before. And I'm fairly confident as well that we've seen the band cleaning the pool in other episodes. So this isn't like an unusual task for them. It's just so out of nowhere. Like, where's Louise? Like, who the hell is Louise? You see, Hannah's doing a coping mechanism. She she has had it up to here with uh, the trauma that she's been put through by the hotel. 
And she's just made up this character called Louise. Like, where is, you know, often like <laughs> when people pray to God and they're like, where is God now? Louise is Hannah's God. Where is your God now, Hannah? She's gone. <laughs> and they're discussing how all the other staff at the hotel have basically scarpered, haven't they? Because they've heard about the inspection and they're all working there illegally. And yeah, this is where the uh, the Iraqi Marines line comes up. Oh, and John yeah. also says, didn't you wonder why all the chambermaids swore in Russian? And Joe goes, oh, I just thought they were cool. Yeah, I mean, there, but there's so many lines here. It's so, um, to, to take this apart, often you, there is some mysteries in life that we just can't figure out. And I think one of those, you know, is like maybe... Uh, how was Stonehenge made? And also, um, who were these jokes for in uh, Miami 7? <laughs> One of the great mysteries. One of the great mysteries of life. And we'll never, we'll never find out. And it's, I'm, I'm at peace with that. I'm okay. And this is where it gets quite technical because the band realise that they're in trouble as well because they're on entertainment visas and Howard has got them doing other work in the hotel that isn't entertainment. And mm. this is a weird moment. Paul says, there's nothing entertaining about Rachel cleaning a bath. And Bradley goes, there is if she does it in that V-neck and shorts. Yeah, V-neck and shorts as well. It's nothing... Um, I mean, if the lech <laughs> was just to describe a piece of clothing, they're not going to go, a V-neck. You're not going to go, you look great in that... <laughs> In that A-line dress. Have you seen, you know? It's, they're, they're making Bradley not only lecherous, but also uh, knowledgeable about fashion, which is a strange combination to have, I feel. Yeah, the, the, the men writing it have been like, what do women wear? V-necks. Why are we on Paul maintenance? Where's Louise? All the staff have gone. They don't want to be here for that employment guy's inspection tomorrow. You mean none of Howard's staff are legally employed? Oh, you'd have more chance of finding a US citizen than the Iraqi Marines. Didn't you ever wonder why all the chambermaids here swore in Russia? Oh, I just thought they were cool. But we're only here on entertainment visas, as entertainers. Yeah, and Howard's got us doing all sorts. Exactly. There's nothing entertaining about Rachel cleaning a bar. Well, there is. She does it in that V-neck and shorts. And also, like, Bradley is so nice. To hear it come out of him, it just feels, it just feels wrong. It feels like you're asking a dog to climb on its hind legs for an hour. And you're like, look, it's possible he's doing it, but this isn't right. And to make Bradley be lecherous is not right. He's an entertainer first. Yeah, and it kind of um, varies from episode to episode as well, whether Bradley finds Rachel fit or thinks Rachel's disgusting. Like, it's sort of inconsistent throughout the series because sometimes he makes remarks like this and sometimes mm. there's an episode coming up later on in the series where Rachel says she wants to be a model and he's like, what, you? It's, uh, it is actually, it, it is hilarious how they try and insinuate that Rachel is ugly or, or even I think there's, I think there's a, we'll talk about the court case later, but there's a line where, um, uh, Rachel's compared to Annie McBeal and they say, yes. yeah. And, um, no wonder Rachel is eating a spoonful of beans. If this is the attitude that her bandmates have of her, they're constantly nagging her. They're constantly nagging her. It's a disgrace. Yeah, definitely. And because of this, because of this entertainment visa thing, Hannah is the one who realizes that they've all basically got an excuse to do nothing all day. Because if they do their usual Yay. jobs, that means they're breaking the rules. And they're all like, "Oh my god, that's a good idea." And John really patronizingly goes, "What have you done with the real Hannah?" This is um, 
It, see, this is why they needed... I, I presume they didn't have a script editor involved in this. Oh, I don't think so. I'm going to look it up, because if they did, they truly are the ones to blame. Like, you can put some responsibility on the writers, but yeah, there's there's no consistency at all. There, it, you know what? It's like... It's like a, the the scripts are quite like uh, S Club Seven's musical output. There's no consistency. Sometimes there's flashes of brilliance. I'm talking about Don't Stop Moving or Natural, and then there's absolute shite. Like uh, you, do you remember that song? Absolutely terrible song that that S Club Seven brought out as a single. Oh, I don't think I can remember that one. I'll probably know it if I hear it. It's the one that made Paul leave. That's that's how bad it goes. Like. You are all I need to get me through. You can't find it on oh, YouTube. Yeah. It's not on YouTube. It has a video, but you can't find the full. You can only find one minute, 20 seconds of that song. Yeah, that rings a bell. But um, Howard here kind of has other ideas, doesn't he? Because he comes over and to try and get on the band's good side, he's brought them a big platter of like pie and mash and mm-hmm. fish and chips, which look which looks quite nice, but he's also bought bought them um boiled lard with lard sauce and a Beatles karaoke tape for some reason. Cause he's like, what do British people like, I wonder? Yeah, and also um didn't he didn't he refer to the Beatles before? I think because I listened to previous episodes of this podcast. They were trying to compare uh, S Club 7 to Oasis and he didn't know who Oasis were. And it turned out that the only British band he knew was the Beatles. So I feel that this is character development. This is quite a good thing, actually. There is some consistency after all. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, but Lard, <laughs> yeah, I've never had Lard before as a, as, a, as a main dish. I don't think I've knowingly ever had Lard. Yeah, they're all quite unimpressed as well, aren't they? Yeah, the only time I've seen Lard is in a weird Jilly McKeith documentary where she's like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Got it on a table in front of a fat person. Oh, this is Larry. And I was like, yeah, Gillian, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but Howard has got a sort of a plan, hasn't he? He explains to them that the inspector will be suspicious if he shows up and literally no one is working at the hotel. So he asks mm. the band to fill in for all of the other staff who, again, we've never seen before. The band have to fill in for them and pretend to be American for the day. And this mm. is where Tina comes over, wearing the most insane outfit. Oh, the the hat looks like Marge Simpson's uh, cowboy hat. It's massive. <laughs> it's massive. Like, it feels like a hat you'd get in a specialist store, as if it's, like, made for some sort of fetishist, for someone of really big heads. It's the biggest biggest cowboy hat i've ever seen in my life it's ridiculous and they do weirdly agree to this plan but they agree to it in exchange for better food and more holidays and this is again bradley being very pervy says and can i have all the home phone numbers of your chambermaids i know i know and like what are you going to do with that bradley you've no like you've no stars at all and that's not going to transfer to the home phone line so I'm gonna be like, hello, I'm Bradley. Um, yeah, it's a, it was, but it's great to see, like, it is teaching children about unions and how unions can be good and to destroy capitalism. So it is good in that way. Yeah, and for some reason, Tina is the one who's going to teach them all how to be American. 
Uh, she's got like a whiteboard with pictures, hasn't she? And she's kind of like, these are braces. Over here, they call them suspenders. And then she says, this is Hanson. And over here, they call them talented. Burn. Oh. <laughs> and it, it's, it just, I mean, this is, this is stupid. I was going to say that that joke really dates the, the program, but I feel like S Club 7 themselves really date the program. So. Um, I was like, you shouldn't be referring to. And um, yeah, it's a. How do you think they feel as actors? They have to deliver these lines, and they probably have to do like the party in the park, Prince's trust, and bump into Hanson at some point. And Hanson then just say to <laughs> Tina, "Tina, I saw what you said about me on Miami Seven because you know it was on in America. This TV show, yeah. Because I've been looking at YouTube comments, and there's kids that are like." I watched this on Fox and uh, I mean that must be so cool for for and they must have like American kids must have felt like real what do they call it like when you're a if you're you're a francophile but what's the British equivalent uh, you know? anglophile is it yeah good I was thinking of Britophile and I was like that just sounds like <laughs> like a DIY product um but uh, yeah so yeah an anglophile they must have felt really. European watching uh, Miami 7. Must have been great. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It seems to have a lot of American fans, but then it didn't really seem to translate into album sales over there because I had a quick look on Wikipedia a while ago. And yeah. yeah, whereas in Europe, they were really big, you know, really high in the charts. In the US, I think the highest one of their albums got was at like, I think it was 69. Well, hey, that's why I remember it. Um, but that was the highest it reached. <laughs> it, it is so strange that um, I feel, you know, because I loved pop music back then in the late 90s, early 2000s. Massive fan of Dane Bowers. Big fan of Dane Bowers. Once again, <laughs> my my weird uh, taste. Uh, it's so annoying for me because like, I was a massive fan of Morrissey. I spent my whole like teenage life kind of like building my whole identity on him. And then he just turned out to be the way he is. So I can have no nostalgia for the time of I, me liking music from 13 until 19 because... Like, I, d I just don't want to, like, revisit that at all. And it's the same with, like, Dane Bowers. And not that Dane Bowers has done anything as bad as Mars. I should <laughs> him in the same. <laughs> but Poor Dane Bowers. <laughs> I know, he's been through enough. He doesn't need me. Like, I'm going to give him a Google. But, um, yeah, what was this? Yeah, but it's so strange that America, America didn't have Dane Bowers. America didn't have like um the stuff that they clinged on to from Britain seems ever so strange. I mean, like Ronan Keaton, Life is a roller coaster, I thought was like a worldwide hit. Nah, not in America. America America takes very little on from Britain. And when uh, Craig David left the UK after his first album to crack America and then came back and um it didn't kind of work out for him on the second album. Um, it's a big risk for people to fully try and crack America. Tina then sort of presents Hannah in what she says is American national costume. And Hannah mm. comes out and she's wearing kind of plaid trousers, a yellow jacket, and she's got a cap and a camera around her neck. And she's also got a McDonald's drink in her hand. Yeah, that is so strange. That is... Um... That it seems like very little thought had gone into the actual uh, costuming. 
and they're all in like absolute hysterics aren't they even though earlier when tina was wearing that mad cowboy hat they barely reacted to it well they expect it from tina from hannah it seems hilarious she's just so british oh my gosh she's got a mcdonald's cup how hilarious (laughs) but then we come to the day of the inspection howard is showing the man around and bradley and rachel are sort of fiddling around with fuse boxes aren't they like it looks quite dangerous to just be just thrown into yeah and and also bradley's accent is very bad and the inspector i feel the inspector is not truly inspecting um the hotel he kind of and and it was funny because the, the inspector was like, oh, Bradley, you're holding this tool when when like a real person would hold this tool. But how does he know? He's just an inspector for the immigration. He's no expert on um, electronics. The guy asks Bradley how long he's been doing this job. And he says, I've worked here ever since I got back from Nam." Yeah. Yeah. That, Bradley, that's the only word he knows. They, they've no... Um, knowledge um it's strange how there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of mentions of the uh of of america in war in this episode it's like uh good seven want to educate uh the children that you know uh america has tried to inflict its own version of democracy on the world through like uh iraq and vietnam um and you know both of those wars didn't work out well and they're just doing it as a warning to the children to go do not forget yeah. Yeah, we've got references to Iraq and Nam in here. It's quite again, who is this for? I know, who is this for? <laughs> this is for this is for the type of person that likes war documentaries and finds Rachel Stevens attractive but hate themselves for finding her attractive. So middle aged <laughs> men. That's who it's for. Yeah, the writers wrote it for themselves. <laughs> they did, yeah, they did. <laughs> Can you tell me what you're doing? Possibly. Uh, I'm resoldering the resistor panels to the conductivity nodules and rerouting the lithium generator. With a screwdriver? Uh, pass me that big buck wrench, will you, Betty Joseph? What? The one covered in oil, ooze, and yuck. Are you sure this is absolutely necessary, Billy Bob? Hey, do I look like I've never done this job before? Do I? How long have you been here, son? Years. Howie here, he's like a father to me. <laughs> I've worked there ever since I got back from that. Damn. Well, that was back in the 1970s. You were far too young to have been in Nam. Well, I was in the sequel. <laughs> we see Joe taking food orders outside, doing a kind of fake American accent, while Hannah and Paul are in the kitchen. And this is, I found this a little bit confusing because they're kind of throwing pizza dough around and then the dough Mm. falls on their faces. And when they take the dough off, the immigration guy comes in and is like, you're busted. And it's not really clear why. Like, I'm not sure if he's overheard them speaking with English accents or he's busted them because he's thought, oh, well, they can't cook. So they're obviously fake it's a bit confusing really well it's a bit like that scene in Inglorious Bastards where Michael Fassbender holds up three fingers on the, on the palm of his hand <laughs> instead of two fingers and a thumb which is the German way and uh, Britain has this reputation <laughs> for breaking through pizza dough like that is what you're famous for and he caught you he, he just found those two people 
They're they're gone. I, it's strange how there was no consequences for it. Oh, well, yeah, another court case is coming up now. Just I just I just feel that this wouldn't happen for normal illegal immigrants, and it felt very strange watching this. That this is my first uh, brush with it as a child. Yeah, and I feel as well like the whole. It feels like the whole episode is kind of building up to them pretending to be American for the day, and then it's over in about a minute. And I feel like it's a bit of a wasted opportunity because I was I thought that could have been a bit more fun like they could have got a bit more comedy out of them pretending to be american and it's over very quickly and then we get to this court case i just i just had a thought i actually blame uh, miami seven for brexit like i feel as children our minds are very malleable <laughs> and they didn't teach us about the 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 true worth of, of of people coming over to work you know to any country and uh and also, they've simplified it too much. Yeah, they're all now in court, aren't they? They're in they're in some trouble, and the judge mm-hmm. basically asks if anyone wants to say anything before she sentences them. And this is the point where Paul says, "Rachel, you watch Ali McBeal," and Hannah goes. Yeah, you're just like Ali McBeal, except when she looks down, she can see her feet. And my jaw literally hit the floor when I was watching that the other day. I was like, what? Yeah, so what's what's the joke there? Is it that Rachel is too fat or Ali McBeal is too thin? Or is it that wonderful middle point between it's both? Like what? I, I thought they were talking about her boobs. Ah, I get it now. I think it's maybe because I've seen other episodes. Yeah, these same writers did an episode called Wind Resistance. And there was a joke about like, they had to wear coconut bras. And somebody said, oh, when Rachel dances, it's going to sound like a stampede. And I think so I just assumed like, oh, it's a running thing that they joke about Rachel having bigger boobs than the rest of them. And I think that's what they meant here with this Ally McBeal thing like oh Rachel can't see her own feet because her boobs are so big that's how I interpreted it and right that is wow wow what (laughs) where was the checks in place there needs to be because I've written for kids tv shows before and you're not even allowed to say idiot anymore not to be you know they're, they're very strict about what you can say and I feel like there was no checks and balances on this S Club 7 thing at all. I mean, imagine being a kid and, oh my crap, I am shocked. I am, I am, I am disgusted and shocked and appalled. I didn't think doing this podcast had turned to anger so much, but I, here we are. I know. I can't believe it was all, it was all just okay back then. It was just fine. And they all just went along with it. No, I'm not going to Google Richard Stevens' tits. <laughs> I, I don't need to do that. But it's just, yeah. So at this point in the trial, Bradley stands up and is kind of like, hey, Your Honour, what are you doing after the trial? Once again, being a bit of a, a perv and a flirt. Um, and they mm. sort of drag him down and John stands up and does a really sincere speech about how the band are only guilty of innocence. And he's like, he says, they may not be US citizens, but they're entertainers and are not entertainers citizens of the world. No way. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, is there a death penalty in Florida? Like, is that a possibility to judge? <laughs> 
I'll swing it that way. I don't think that could stand up in court. <laughs> it would be quite an ending, though, to the Miami <laughs> 7. Just the six, the six of them looking on as John is taken away. <laughs> Teaching British children about the death penalty. <laughs> Maybe that's how Paul could have left the band. They could have, they could have used that as an excuse for Paul leaving the show. Sorry, kids, he's that dead been, now. That would have been brilliant. They'd be like, Paul, do you want to do this this new album with us? We're going in this direction, or would you like to die? And he's like, give me my last meal. Give me my last <laughs> The true measure of a society is not how it rewards its successes, but how it treats its victims. And this group of youngsters... Youngsters. Quiet, Bradley. This happy band of young people... The best and the brightest a nation has to offer. Who's he talking about then? They are guilty of only one thing. Innocence. They are guilty of innocence. That's a new one. Is it? Oh, cool. Um, because all of these gentle, caring, innocent young folk... Great. Now we're folk. All they wanted to do was help. They may not be US citizens, but they are musicians entertainers and are not entertainers citizens of the world are they not here to be admired and revered rather we really should try and get john on decaf i think it's fantastic i'd be even more impressed if i had the slightest idea of what he was trying to say (laughs) but um, john's argument is basically that they're legally allowed to be in the u.s as a band and they were just innocently Mm. trying to help when all of the hotel staff coincidentally took the same day off and i quite like this little bit where joe goes we should really try to get him onto decaf (laughs) because they're kind of acknowledging how weirdly sincere john is being but it's kind of working as well because oh actually i looked up this woman who plays the judge yeah i often try to look up these actors to see what else they've done and she has not done much acting so i did a bit more googling and her name's tonya oliver and she's written a book about her life um self-published and it sounds like she's had quite a life whoa like what 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 are we talking here yeah this this is the description on amazon Chasing Fool's Gold is a memoir chronicling the author's life as the wife of an NFL football player and first lady of the South Beach nightlife scene, seemingly having it all, to an emotionally devastating divorce, working as a package handler at 47 years old, surviving being struck by a drunk driver and the subsequent discovery of a brain tumour. My genuinely, I was kind of expecting to... I was like, that's, that's an amazing life. I would like to see, this is basically a person who could have been on Real Housewives of Atlanta or whatever, or, um, or isn't there one of Florida? Like, I feel like there should be. Well, where's she from? South Beach. Mm, probably. So, like, she, she was a woman before her time then, basically. This is, this is 15 years before the Real Housewives could have been a thing. And she's lived that life. And then not only that, but then became a package handler after. Because I, I would watch, I would rather, I don't, I'm not a fan of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But I mean, look, we're in the middle of the lockdown. So I have the time now to get into it. But I would love to see like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and then uh, become pa- package handlers. You know, that would be amazing. 
Yeah, and the rest of the description of the book gets a bit religious. So um, all about how God helped her on her journey to recovery and that sort of thing. I wonder, did God help her get this part in... Is there a chapter dedicated to Miami 7? Is there any mention of S Club 7 within her um, book? Oh, I hope so. Although I think most people involved in this show have sort of scrubbed it from their past. <laughs> Including S Club 7. Yeah, something I've noticed in the credits of the show is I can't remember what job title it is now. It might be something like script editor. And it says, uh, I can't no. remember her name now, the woman who created Orange is the New Black, but it's spelled differently, like slightly a different spelling. And I was wondering, is it the same woman? And she has like changed the spelling of her name to escape this. Um, I would hope so, because if she was specifically the the script editor, I mean, unless these, and I can't see the, and like how many different writers have, teams of writers do we have on this uh, series? Is it like two or three? Or, uh, about, about, about four, about four. About four. That's a hard job. That's a hard job. Let, let me check here what her name is. Yeah, I will, I will change the spelling of my name. I think it's um Genji Jen, Cohen. Yeah. Oh, I would change the spelling of my name. But like, yeah, in the credits, it's Genji Cohen, but it's spelt slightly differently. And I did Google that spelling because thinking, oh, there might be a different woman, but there's just no results. So I'm wondering oh. if it's her and she was like, oh, I'm going to change my name. I wonder, could you get her as a guest? Like, you might as well. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do some detective work and find out if it was actually her. Yeah, just try Genji Cohen at gmail.com. It might work. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um going back to the uh the trial with this uh interesting woman as the judge she says to them oh well you might claim that you're a band but i need some proof and they come up with all these suggestions for how they could prove they're a band they say oh mm. we could hold a press conference we could visit a rainforest which they obviously did at some point. And someone says, John could marry Patsy Kensett. And he goes, no way. So what's that? Like they're shading Patsy Kensett or what's happening Yeah, there? I looked it up and she was married to Liam Gallagher at the time. So, But he's not, I wouldn't really say he's like a pop star. So I'm not really sure why Patsy Kensett was the go-to person. And also if she's already married, then she couldn't marry John surely as well. Oh no, I think these writers wanted John to go in and break up the marriage of Patsy and Liam. So they're talking about how can we prove that we're a band. And I like how throughout this whole discussion, they've got a cassette player on the table in front of them. So we all know where this is going because there's no reason for it to be there. <laughs> no, no, there's no reason at all. And they perform Bring It All Back. And this is the theme tune for Miami 7, so I'm quite fed up of this song now. But I did quite enjoy hearing the whole thing this time, rather mm. than just a little section of it. Because I, I do actually really like this song. It's very boppy, and I like how all the girls sort of get a verse, don't they? They do, they do. Um, I like I like Hannah, for me, is my dad's favourite member of S Club 7. So I've a, it's nice to see her sing occasionally. Like It's a rarity to see Hannah get a solo, so it's good to have it there. Yeah, and everyone in the room is loving it. They're all, like, up and dancing. All the people who've come to watch the trial are like, woo, party! Yeah, because, I mean, 
I um I went to college um and studied one of my modules was law and I had to go to a court case and look at and watch it and kind of like report back of what I've seen. And there was I remember I I went to a, like a, a a big case in Ireland actually. It was like um it was uh for conspiracy of murder, but the person didn't get murdered, so I feel like it's okay to talk it wouldn't it would be weird if it was like an actual murder case. But it was conspiracy to murder. Mm-hmm. And it was packed. It was like, I couldn't get a seat in this courtroom. And people had sandwiches and uh, like flasks oh of tea. It was real. And I went to the toilet during it. And uh, the, there was a police, well, in Ireland we call them Garda. But there was a police woman in the toilet. And I was like, why is she in the toilet? Because I felt like she was guarding it. Mm-hmm. But she was guarding the, the defendant. So I heard, I heard, I heard like, I heard a I heard a piss of evil. That's what I would call it. Like it was just that's what I wrote in my uh, in my assessment. <laughs> if there had been a sudden musical performance at the trial, do you think you would have been into it like these people were? Definitely. As well, I'm happy it was that song. If it was like a because I made I know there's a musical performance in every episode. I presume of Miami Seven. Yeah. I mean that's what it's there for. So. I, I I think I'm very happy that I got this episode that we got a banger. It's I know it, it is the theme, but it is a it is a good song. I wouldn't like an album track. I feel like I'm gonna Well could you name any S Club Seven album tracks actually? Well we've had a few in the series that weren't even album tracks, they were <laughs> B sides of singles. Um no. <laughs> No. Yeah, because I ex- I expected them to be on the album, but yeah, some of them just aren't even on the album, and I don't remember hearing them apart from in this show. This performance obviously goes very well. When it finishes, the judge just says that they're all okay to stay in the country, and then she goes and send me a copy of that track. I know, and and also like they were miming. There were there were no live vocals yeah. out of any of them. If I was the judge, I'd be like, I'd want to hear you sing. Anyone can mime. That doesn't make a band. Yeah, I've seen them performing this song live in a few videos and you can tell often that it is just lip syncing because you can tell especially on Hannah's verse because she always <laughs> does this move where she, she kind of falls back and the boys all catch her and it's like, yeah, if you were actually falling backwards, you wouldn't be able to go, when time is on your side. <laughs> well, that's why Hannah's in the band. She's got incredible breath control. That was that was the thing <laughs> she was bringing. Howard gets fined $5,000. The judge says, you've exploited these young people and your shirt yes. is just awful and everyone in the court is very happy about this verdict yeah well no justice has been done it's a shame that justice in real life wasn't done for the s club seven and it actually john refers to them as the s club seven which to me sounded like they were like imprisoned for a crime they didn't commit and then after 15 years <laughs> exonerated you know the cent the central park five yeah I, you've ruined that that phrase for me now because they have referred to themselves as the s club seven throughout the whole series and i never thought of it that way before well mate i'm from ireland like we got the birmingham six there's loads of them like there's uh, loads. <laughs> you're hearing this every day yeah <laughs> And so the episode the episode ends after the trial. They're back at the hotel and Howard is trying to sell that awful statue for $5,000. And weirdly, mm. someone actually wants it. There's a taker, a sort of Texan businessman. 
But then as he says he's going to buy it, the arm falls off the statue and then it all just kind of collapses, I guess, from what the band were doing to it earlier. For some reason, it's only now just set in and it's all collapsed. And it kind of finishes with them going, that's the trouble with Howard. He always goes to pieces. Credits. Way! That's it. It's almost it's James Bond tier uh, kind of uh, banter that they have there. It's a... Um, yeah, I, I was trying to think of why that Texan businessman would buy it, but I have seen some strange things on the internet lately. Um, of like, I saw. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I saw. I saw. Do you remember Bugs Life, uh, the Pixar film that came out in nineteen ninety eight? Yes, I think? yeah. There's a character called Heimlich who was a German caterpillar. Do you remember him? Yeah. He'd like fat cheeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I've seen on eBay and you can look it up. It might, it might have been sold by now. Someone, someone has a Heimlich fleshlight. So a fleshlight that's been painted. Oh no. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Heimlich. Someone has painted a fleshlight to look like Heimlich. And I think. The, the 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 eBay listing is. Pre- I I think it must be someone that just has painted one. I I feel that you can't buy them, but they're insinuating that this was a promotional, a promotional bit of merchandise <laughs> from Pixar, which I find it very hard to believe. <laughs> so yeah, I can understand why that Texas businessman would uh, would buy that. Yeah, he's got some sort of nefarious purposes with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on that note, before we finish, uh, yeah. Any, any last, any last thoughts? And also, where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything in particular that you'd like to plug? Oh, amazing! Uh, any last thoughts? I'm just gonna have a because because it was really lovely to do a podcast where you have to watch something. And I, I, I wrote down notes like a, like like I was doing homework, but I was watching Miami Seven. So when Rachel referred, when Rachel referred to uh, Alanis Morissette, right? Alanis Morissette is an artist, right? And I feel like Rachel shading Alanis Morissette is a lot like Neil Buchanan shading uh, Matisse. Like that was a that was a line I wrote. But you know what? why why write down lines when you can just do a podcast and speak like an actual person instead of like imagine it's so weird because a podcast is a conversation but you do some like somewhat of a bit of when you have to watch something you do prep you go I could say this and I could say that mm-hmm. but could you imagine like if we were to have a normal conversation where I had prepped the day before and was like I'll throw in this line at this point <laughs> just <laughs> um, so I uh, I have a Twitter. That is a good line, though. I I'm so Jenny. I made myself laugh, and then I called my boyfriend in when I said about um, that John, John, John's personality is a lot like the spelling of his name. He's now H. And I, I haven't written a joke in months because of the lockdown, and I felt like I'd opened something inside me. It felt amazing. Uh, so thank you um, but anyway it's actually I'm sorry but that's far too much like praise of that for myself that I'm feeling just, just that congratulating game. yourself <laughs> for doing a joke about John from S Club 7 and it's not topical even... stuff 
I'm going to base the whole show on this club seven days <laughs> here. Um, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Spill and I host a um, a film viewing uh, thing every night called Covideo Party. It's hashtag Covideo Party. We all watch a film at nine o'clock on Netflix and uh, I think it's still going to happen because I'm not mm-hmm. leaving my house for ages no matter what the government says. I don't care if they yeah. open up Primark. I'm staying inside. Yeah, same here. I reckon, like, at least end of the summer. I know. Why Why torment yourself with hope? Just just stay in. Just uh, do podcasts. We're grand. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S-Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.